Hello once again and welcome to the David Ansel Podcast. And as promised, here in this Easter season, I wanted to give a talk on the resurrection. Last year I gave a talk on the evidence for why it is reasonable to believe in the resurrection, but this year I want to focus on a specific aspect as to why the writers of the gospel wanted us to believe that there was a real physical resurrection. One of the claims of supposed scholars these days is that Jesus only rose quote-unquote spiritually. I've even heard claims of some supposed scholars that it's not incompatible with our faith in our Lord to believe that his body just decomposed in the tomb. And in fact, many of these scholars really, at least what they seem to be saying by the word spiritually, is to mean symbolically or even not really. And I guess we poor unenlightened folk just can't get this. Well, really, this idea does have its roots in the age of the Enlightenment, which denies the miraculous and denies divine revelation of any kind. So it's a small wonder that people who buy this kind of thinking wouldn't think that there's a real resurrection of our Lord from the dead. And one of the side effects of this in our world today is that there's a tendency to regard things that are spiritual in nature or that concern God or even morality, to be nothing more than some childish concern with very little bearing in reality. And in fact, these people will, as you may have predicted, deny reliability of the Gospels. The problem with this approach, though, is that the Gospels themselves show an intent to convey that they are conveying reality. This isn't just some myth or some legend. The life of Christ is not something that happened long ago, at an undetermined time, and far away at an undetermined place. No, when those Gospels were written, they were recent history. The first Gospel may have been written about 30 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord, and the last Gospel may be about 70 years afterward, and the last Apostle, the last eyewitness, was still alive at the time. The places that are mentioned in the Gospel were known to the people who lived at that time. They still exist today. Now, needless to say, I can't prove the resurrection scientifically, although that's really kind of silly because the idea that only what can be proven scientifically can be believed itself cannot be proven scientifically. My intent for today is to convey that those who are writing the Gospels are demonstrating in their writing that they were conveying things that really happened real historical events. This whole thing about we need to separate the Jesus of history from the Christ of faith is a bunch of malarkey. Jesus is who he is, and he really is God, and he really rose from the dead. Let me give you some examples in the gospel before we even get to the resurrection. In the stories of the nativity, there's the mention of a census that was called by Herod that required people to travel to their ancestral land and register there. Some scholars have tried to tell us that that's not true, simply on the fact that they don't see any other recording of it outside of the Gospels. However, it's hard to imagine there wouldn't be some kind of complaint or outcry if the evangelists were writing about an event that did not happen. And somebody might have noticed if there was this fictional event that, if it had occurred, would have required a lot of people to do quite a bit of traveling, and yet... I know of no record of anyone disputing that this happened other than our modern scholars 2,000 years later. Give me a break. Let's also look at what happened at the burial of Jesus. 
Whose tomb did they say they were borrowing? They mentioned the name of a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, if the apostles were trying to make up a story, this would have been an absolutely stupid choice by any stretch of the imagination because the Sanhedrin was a well-known body. If Joseph of Arimathea didn't exist or never was on the Sanhedrin, people would have known that and somebody would have said something. Or if Joseph of Arimathea was on the Sanhedrin but had nothing to do with the burial of Jesus, also someone would have spoken up and probably Joseph of Arimathea himself. He wouldn't want to be implicated in something like this that he had no responsibility for. That's crazy. So anyway, with this in mind, let's take a look at the resurrection stories. And in particular, we're looking here at the stories of the post-resurrection appearances. Probably one of the most famous is in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. It says Jesus appeared to his apostles, but Thomas had not been there. Now, at this point, maybe somebody could argue that this was some spiritual experience, which was probably to the people who said it no more than an hallucination. However, when Thomas showed up, he said, look, I'm going to have to put my fingers in the nail prints in his hands and touch his side in order to believe. And if this really was some kind of illusion, I think it's awfully odd to believe that it happened again. And not only did it happen again, but it happened to someone who otherwise wouldn't have believed without being able to touch our Lord, which he did. He felt the nail prints in his side and knew it was him. And in doing so, he made a profession that he could not have been able to see from what he saw. He called Jesus, my Lord and my God. But that's not the only account that shows this. Let's look at Luke chapter 24, verses 35 through 48. When Jesus appeared, he let his apostles see the wounds and touch him. But he did not stop there. Jesus also asked them if they had anything to eat. Now, That would be a strange question for a spirit, and even stranger for a hallucination, because they actually gave him baked fish, and he ate it. So where in the world did the fish go, if there was not a body there that could consume it? Pure spirits don't eat. They don't need any sustenance. Finally, let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Jesus did one of the same things that he did when he first met the apostles. They were out all night fishing. They caught nothing. The Lord said, hey, put your net out there to that side. They did. And sure enough, just as when they first met Jesus, they caught a whole lot of fish. But it doesn't stop there. At the command of Jesus, they brought the fish in. And Jesus took that fish and fed the apostles with it basically made breakfast with them. So not only did they see, but they ate. It also says that he took bread and gave it to them. Whatever you may think of these experiences, one thing that is historically known well is that these convinced the apostles to go out to preach the Lord even after he had ascended into heaven and was no longer visibly with them and even die, be executed, not some suicide pact like the crazies of our modern age, but actually be executed, often very brutally for him, and others followed. Even into our own century, we have people dying for Christ. And if that weren't enough, others give the rest of their lives. 
Look at our priests, and especially those in religious congregations. They give up ownership of property, the chances of ever finding a wife, and subject themselves to the orders of a superior. They do this in order to be able to better preach the gospel. Because essentially, either they really believe it to be true, or they're really crazy. Because otherwise, why would you want to give up what they have to give up to do that? No, people have given their lives and that which they have given their lives for rises or falls on whether the resurrection is a real event. And if you have your doubts about Jesus having risen from the dead, I hope that you will pray to the risen Lord. Ask him to give you faith. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you at my next podcast.